you know, but with people already able to snatch them up before the draft, and then with the bigger window of relevance, you might look into a few of these cards in the short term. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I am your host, Sam. If you like what we do here at Slab Stocks and you like the free content, please, please navigate over to slabstocks.com. Scroll down the page to where it says Sunday Slab Inbox Trading Trends. Enter your email address. Totally free and easy for you to do. Every day you're going to get a couple of emails with some good buying opportunities. There's no downside at all for you, but it really would help us continue to do what we do here at Slab Stocks. The 2020 NBA Draft is scheduled for Wednesday, November 18th. For fans of traditionally good NBA teams, I don't reckon this is a huge deal, but as a fan of a historically perennial eight-seed lottery type of team, the NBA Draft has always been my personal NBA championship. You know, Even with the Bucks being good nowadays, I still get almost more excited for the NBA Draft than pretty much anything. You know, Years of riding the treadmill of mediocrity has hardwired that into me. If you're a fan of the Magic, the Hawks, the Suns, you know, teams like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's not a knock against you guys. We're all in this together. And the big markets, they use us as their draft and develop type of system. But they miss out on the excitement of the NBA draft. And I am excited. As far as sports cards goes, this is kind of a strange year. Uh, you might have heard by now, everything is pointing to the tip-off of the 2020-2021 NBA season taking place on December 22nd, which is an absurdly short window between the draft and the season. Uh, one month and four days in between those two events, you know, between the draft and that season, which you know, it's not going to be fun for players or coaches, not going to be fun for Panini. It is fun for NBA consumers. Uh, that time crunch means that we're in uncharted waters as far as basketball cards go. You know, as far as I can remember, this is the first time that we've had a couple of products available even before the NBA draft. This year's Prism draft picks, this year's Contenders draft picks basketball cards have already dropped, and at least based on the most recently released Panini schedule, it's going to be quite some time until we get these players in their NBA uniforms. Everything's being pushed back due to the schedule issues. NBA Hoops is set to release first on January 13th, Donruss at the end of January. Prism's not going to be released until March 3rd, according to the most recently uh, released Panini calendar. Optic in the middle of April. Select in the middle of May. You know, so it's going to be a while for a lot of these sets You know, later on into the season than we've been become accustomed to. Uh, because, hey, you know, usually the draft is held in June. Usually the season starts at the end of October. And then these products really start rolling in after six months from the draft by the beginning of December. But now draft in November, release dates getting pushed back. We might see some of these draft pick sets catch a little more attention than usual. You know, generally investing in draft pick cards isn't a super wise investment, you know, but with people already able to snatch them up before the draft, and then with the bigger window of relevance, you might look into a few of these cards in the short term. And if you do, I would mostly just be focusing on the autos. If that doesn't really interest you, I'm certain there's going to be a ton of interest in NBA hoops this year when it does release in January. But that's not what I want to talk to about with you today. I really just want to get right into the NBA draft. Today I'm going to cover five guys that I think could be quickly in-demand rookies on the basis of similar in-demand players from previous years. 
uh, you'll understand my thought process after I get into it. I don't want to cover the very top of the draft because I think guys like LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, you know, everyone already knows their names already. They're already in demand just because of that. You know, just being a top three pick is going to secure their spot as a hot name in the card market for at least a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years. So instead of looking at those guys, I'm going to look a little bit lower down in the lottery and then towards the back of the first round uh, players who I think, based on com historic comparisons, might be interesting players to target. Uh, by the way, just on the basis of being a draft nerd, uh, at this point, I really could talk myself into loving pretty much any player in the top 45 picks or so. Uh, so please thank me for my service as I limit myself to only talking about five different guys. That pains me to do that. I had a list of 15 guys that I wanted to talk about, and I just whittled it down from there. We don't have time for that today. Uh, but I do love a lot more guys than I'm actually talking to you about today. So let's start things off with the big man from Dayton, Obi Toppin. The hardest name to say without having your Wisconsin accent shine through, Obi Toppin. Uh, probably going to be a top five-ish pick in this draft. Uh, of course, you, know, you all know by now that this is a relatively weak draft compared to previous years. But it's not that there won't be good players out of the draft. It's just harder to see the surefire star-level talent at the very top. You know, Lamella Ball, he's going to be at the top. He has some extremely high-end skills. Six foot seven, extremely gifted creator, facilitator, you know, high-end basketball IQ. He's been a, a terrible shooter to this point, though. Uh, certainly much worse than you'd regularly want with the number one overall pick, which is where I assume that's going to go. So positives and negatives. Uh, Anthony Edwards, physical phenom, extremely athletic, can stop on a dime, natural score, should be able to get to the rim past pretty much anyone. Also, very questionable motor, uh, supposedly a low basketball IQ, and just generally not a super great shooter or passer. So a lot of dings against this draft are due to the top of the draft board. But there's still good guys later on that have flaws, sure, but the teams are going to feel much more comfortable taking later on in the draft. Obi Toppin fits into that category. Maybe he'll be drafted a little higher than he traditionally would have been in the last couple of drafts, uh, but he still does have the potential to be a very gifted player and, I think, very in demand on the card market, which is, of course, what we're interested in. Now, long-term, Toppin, he's not the type of guy that, personally, I would typically gravitate towards, but in the short term, I think he checks a lot of the boxes that will have him be a hot name in the card market. He's six foot nine, a 22-year-old forward who was a scoring machine at Dayton last year. 20 points per game, shot 63% from the field overall, 39% from three on just over two and a half three-point attempts per game. He's obviously old for his class, exactly one day younger than Jason Tatum, which is crazy. Uh, but as such, his offensive game is very mature relative to his rookie classmates. I do believe he's going to fit in right you know, immediately as a starter whose offensive game should slide into the NBA without many growing pains. I could see him as an early in the season favorite for rookie of the year. Uh, he's an extremely gifted rim runner, lob catcher type of player. But unlike most guys that fit that particular profile, he's also able to stretch it out with some pretty sweet shooting on catch and shoot threes. Also, what I really like about him is that even though he was the most gifted player at Dayton, he also didn't need everything to revolve around him on the offensive end. You know, he seems like he should be able to fit into the flow of an offense and score selectively in his own spots, which is a pretty big thing for a rookie contributor. For him, the huge question marks, and, and I'm not even sure it's a question mark as much as an exclamation point at this point, uh, he's probably never going to be any sort of defensive player. Uh, if he gets into a situation with a strong, defensively versatile center, that would really help him out. 
If not, well, then things could get ugly pretty quickly. Uh, but we know that most people just don't care about defense, especially in the card market. Although, I still maintain that most people do end up caring about it after several years, just because defensive ineptitude eventually seeps into the vernacular. You know, overall market-wide feelings on players often will shift because of poor defense, but we just don't label it as such. Still, in the short term, his offensive scoring ability will translate into the box score in very easy-to-read ways, and for that reason, I think you ought to be targeting Obi Toppin. Uh, you can think of other gifted offensive bigs with glaring defensive weaknesses from recent years, and, and this isn't a comparison from the style of play, but I think of a guy like Marvin Bagley, who has spent a couple of years as one of the more mentioned guys in the card market, but you know, really doesn't bring a whole ton to the table that an NBA team couldn't just get from a veteran big on a pretty small deal. But if you're young and you're big and you play good offense, a lot of NBA fans are going to take notice. And as such, people in the card market will irrationally love you. Uh, we see it very often with players of this ilk. And I think we're going to see that repeated this year with Obi Toppin. Next guy up that... Uh, uh, should be going somewhere around Toppin, maybe before, maybe a bit after. Uh, but a guy that I am particularly excited for, and that's Denny Avdia out of Tel Aviv, Israel. 19 years old, played the past two years against EuroLeague competition, and last year at that level, he averaged only 4 points, 2.6 rebounds, 1.2 assists, shooting 44% from the field and 28% from three in those games. Clearly nothing spectacular there. Uh, but against domestic Israeli competition in the Israeli Basketball Super League, which is a lower competition level, but still a professional league, he fared much better. Uh, 27 minutes per night, he shot 67% from the field and 39% from three input in 13.5 points, six rebounds, 2.6 assists. Uh, it's very, very common for teenagers to struggle against EuroLeague competition. Understand that. Looking away from the box scores, uh, there's just a ton to like about Avdia's play. He's six foot ten ish, 226 pounds, a uh, good size, uh, but with a point guard skill set, extremely versatile. In fact, in the 2019 Under 20 European Championship tournament, he played most of his defensive minutes at the five, and on offense, he played at the point, uh, and he ended up leading Tel Aviv to winning the championship. He's a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none type of player. You know, he's willing to do literally anything on the court. High level defender, uh, good instincts, defends the rim pretty well, rebounds at a high rate, cuts well, moves the ball well, good spot of shooter, good in the post. You know, really just a lot of the stuff that we see from other high level big men coming out of the European leagues, we see with him too. Uh, some of the knocks against him are his athleticism, which is thought to be only NBA average, and his three-point shooting, which likely will not be very good right away and maybe not even be very good for quite some time. Uh, he has been a pretty poor free-throw shooter for the past couple of years, which is a decent indicator of three-point shooting ability. But I'm not convinced about the athleticism knock. You know, I think he might be a bit better in that category than we can tell at the moment, uh, but we're going to find out more about that in the next couple of months. One thing that could be working against him as far as public perception goes, but also might be working for him in the card market, are these constant comparisons to Luka Doncic. You know, really just unfair to him, and, and we shouldn't be making those comparisons at all. Uh, but as a highly rated wing coming out of the EuroLeague, that's just what people are going to say. 
You, you should not be expecting him to be Luka because that's just insane. But he is a type of do-everything player that could really, you know, figure it out at the NBA level and rather quickly with his prior professional basketball experience. You know, sometimes we overrate athleticism and then we overlook the innate ability to just kind of make stuff happen on the court. And I think that's what Avdia has. Uh, if he's a guy that goes at pick six, seven, eight, somewhere in there, I do believe there's going to be a lot of talk in three or four months about how he should have gone higher, uh, which is going to propel some greater interest in the card market. But just overall, as a gifted wing from Europe, the interest is certain to be there for Denny Avdia card investors. Uh, moving forward then toward the end of the lottery, middle of the first round area. The next guy that I'm looking at is Tyrese Maxey, shooting guard out of Kentucky. He didn't light up the box score at Kentucky last year. 35 minutes per night, he scored 14 points per contest. That went along with four rebounds, three assists, and a steal, while shooting 43% from the field and only 29% from three. So not a ton of really interesting things there. But this is what we've perennially seen from Kentucky guards. You know, over the past five years or so, there's just been an abundance of highly recruited guards to Kentucky who kind of disappoint in college, then slide down the draft boards a bit, and then become very high-level players in the NBA. Here's the list of former Kentucky guards in the NBA. John Wall, Rajon Rondo, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, Jamal Murray, Malik Monk, Tyler Hero, Hamadou Diallo, and Devin Booker. We saw some of those guys slide down to the area of the draft that I expect Maxie to be drafted at. And it's often because when they played at Kentucky, they just didn't shine as much as we would have expected. Uh, but that's just the nature of trying to play a bunch of 18-year-old five-star recruits together. Everyone has to sacrifice. Uh, but so many of these guys have excelled once they reach the NBA. You sort of have to just give a guy like Maxie the benefit of the doubt. He has a quick release on his jumper, uh, which really should just play pretty well at the NBA level. He's an 87% free throw shooter in college and in high school combined, which indicates good things are going to be coming from the three-point level. Uh, he's also very adept in the pick-and-roll game, which is obviously a boon to his NBA potential. Uh, he's a tough defender. He's also an extremely hard worker. I've read that you know he's the type of guy that he gets to the gym very early before 5 a.m. He goes five days a week, twice a day. I think all of this is going to spell very good things for him at the next level. Uh, plus, another big thing in his card market stock is that he's a client of super agent Rich Paul. Those guys just get so much more publicity than the average player. That's certain to help his card market out quite a bit, in my opinion. So I'm high on Maxi. I think we've seen, particularly in this last season, some of the hottest names on the card market just have been former Kentucky guards. SGA, Devin Booker, Jamal Murray is Maxi next. I can't guarantee that, but as you sort of you know sort through the abundance of guards that we have in this draft, I would give a good long look at Tyrese Maxey as a guy to target. The last two guys on my watch list are uh, sort of in the same camp, uh, end of the first, beginning of the second round type of players that are a bit old for their class, but who should be pretty good right away. The first is Xavier Tillman out of Michigan State. Six foot eight, 245 pounds, 21 years old, very much the prototypical Michigan State big man you know, with his physical presence, tough-nosed, hard-playing style. In 32 minutes per night this last year as a junior, he scored 14 points with 10 rebounds, three assists, a steal, and two blocks. He shot 55% from the field and only 26% from three, but that was on a low volume. What I really like about him as a player is that uh, he's a good and very willing passer, you know, really very strong team first type of player overall. 
He's not a very strong shooter from deep, although uh, supposedly recently he did turn in some strong shooting performances in an empty gym, of course, um, so that's just for what it's worth. Uh, but he is also a very strong cutter. He scored in the 80th percentile in points per possessions on plays where he was cutting towards the hoop. Uh, he's a great defensive player, even though he is only six foot eight. He's got good enough instincts and strength to be a very effective rim protector. He's also kind of a ball hawk on the boards, as evidenced by his 10 rebounds per night. I could see teams targeting him as one of these smaller, strong big men. Uh, he's going to slide down pretty far on draft night, you know, back of the first, beginning of the second, because he's not a very credible shooter from deep, and he is a bit older at 21 years old. Uh, this is just generally how it works. If you're an older player, upperclassman, teams just aren't going to burn a high pick on you. You know, the question always revolves around surplus value. How much value can we extract out of this pick? Even a guy that could be playing in the NBA for a decade just might not bring the type of revenue that a higher ceiling younger guy could bring in. And while there's some uh, trickle effect into the card market in that regard, I still think Tillman is well positioned to be a you know, later pick that could really generate some excitement in the card market. We frequently see upperclassmen that slide who then perform well because they're older and because they're skilled, um, about whom then all the talk becomes, why did the guy fall this far? You know, think of like Malcolm Brogdon, who came out of Virginia, checked a ton of the boxes that NBA teams look for, except for the fact that he was 23 years old at the time. Uh, well, it worked out well for the Bucks. Now it's worked out well for the Pacers regardless, and his cards have done well too. So I don't know if Tillman's going to be one of those types of guys, but you should be on the lookout for any skilled player that slides down the draft largely due to age. Now, Matisse Thibel is another one of those guys. He's a bit older, he was questionable on offense, but the things that he did well were so good and stood out so much that he immediately became a highly in-demand prospect on the card market last year. If Tillman gets drafted at the back of the first on a really good team, I think that he's going to be able to fit in into any situation, and he's going to get a lot of those, you know, why didn't we take this guy earlier type of looks. And then the last guy for today's show who fits into that same category, again, it's Grant Riller, the six foot three guard from the College of Charleston. Yep, you heard that right. Uh, very old for this draft. He's uh, 23 years old already, but he also happens to be maybe the best pure scorer in the entire draft. He's a confident shooter. Over the past two years, he attempted 15 shots per game, shooting at a 52% clip while chipping in 22 points, four rebounds, four assists, and a steal and a half, while also shooting 34% from three on four attempts per game. Last year, that was 36% from three on those same four attempts. Uh, the things that are driving Grant Riller down the draft board, he played for the College of Charleston, which means, of course, that he played against teams the likes of Nebraska Wesleyan, USC Upstate, Coker, Towson, Elon, UNCW, and Hofstra. Uh, they did play against some bigger name schools too, but that's not as fun to read off. Uh, plus, we have the age factor with him. But, you know, any team that's drafting him is bound to get some instant offense. I think of him not as, you know, not as a perfect comparison, but an offensive spark plug kind of in the same terms as like a Lou Williams. It was easy to envision a good team at the back of the first after all the higher upside players are gone that's going to take a chance on a guy like Riller. What if the Lakers at number 28 took him to fill in some scoring at the guard? Uh, you know, that's going to play really well in the card market. What if the Raptors decided to let Fred Van Fleet walk this, uh, walk this year? They pick him up, and he gets a good chunk of those minutes on a team that's known for strong player development. Or maybe he slips back into the second round and is picked up by a lower-quality team that does have tons of minutes available. I can envision just a number of scenarios where we see this guy and then wonder that same thing. Why wasn't he getting drafted higher? You know, honestly... 
he's one of those guys that if he was going to have the Las Vegas Summer League this year, I think after a couple of games, he would have become one of the really hot names in the card market um, you know, and in the NBA market as well. Uh, just kind of like Thibel before him, Kyle Kuzma before him. He's not going to have that available to show out. But if he can come out with a few really strong performances to start the year, all coming from a guy that most people have just never heard of, you could expect strong interest to continue throughout the season. Now, so it's just tons of what-ifs, but his scoring acumen is certainly there. He should play at the next level, and, and that should generate some corrective purchasing action in the sports card market. Uh, if you made it this far... I have a bonus sixth pick for you who didn't really want to cover in depth because I think he's just kind of gotten so much hype lately. Uh, but that's Tyrell Terry out of Stanford. You know, just a dynamic three-point shooting point guard. Uh, extremely quick release. Shows a great feel for the game. Originally, he was slated to go in the late 20s because he was so small at the time. He was six foot two and 155 pounds when he declared for the draft. But over the last several months, he's been on a 4,000 calorie diet. Uh, he's been working with his nutritionist and his trainer. He's packed on supposedly 15 pounds of muscle with the hopes of another five by December 22nd once they get up to 175 pounds. Now there's videos of him dunking by putting the ball through his legs. You know, it's just not something we've really seen from him. I could really envision him being a back end of the lottery pick that ends up far outplaying his draft status and then becoming a trendy topic for NBA fans to discuss, which all bodes really well for his card prices too. And you can think of a guy like Donovan Mitchell in a similar situation. He was drafted 13th, and then immediately the offense put him on the map in a way that was only magnified by him being passed up by 12 teams along the way. I could see the same thing happening with Terry. All right, that's all the time I have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.